This episode of No Bad Food is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Are you a producer of artisan food or drinks looking to get your name out there? Look no further. Whiskey Lane's team of social media, branding, and marketing experts is here to help. They'll take care of all that stuff for you so that you can focus on doing what you do best, making awesome products for your customers. Here at No Bad Food, we know that buying locally made products goes a long way toward making our world more sustainable, and that's why we're proud to be sponsored by Whiskey Lane. So, what are you waiting for? Grab your nearest artisan cheese or homebrewed IPA and run to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And remember, that's whiskey the Canadian way. Without any. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind. We'll take it slow this time. Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni, and you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week, we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Before we dig in, I want to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where I'm recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember when the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. I want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities of that area. June is Pride Month, which means it's a time of year where queer voices are being amplified and celebrated more than usual. And on a personal note, this is the first year that I've felt like I'm fully out and loud and proud of my queerness in time for Pride. So in light of that, I wanted to do something special to celebrate. For the whole month of June, I'll be talking to friends from all ends of the acronym about a type of food that I love almost as much as I love myself. Barbecue. I think there's not enough representation in the food media scene of queer folks, especially when it comes to cooking meat over fire, a thing that, for whatever reason, has been branded as macho and masculine for a super long time. So I'm here to change that by bringing you this mini-series about barbecue, queerness, and the ways that loving food can help us love ourselves. This is LGBBQ. Do you like that? I've been sitting on that pun for like a year. I'm I'm very glad. I'm very glad to be doing this. I'm, I'm so proud of that. I don't have a thesis for this series beyond queer people like barbecue too. My goal here is more just to have these conversations with lovely people about a thing that we love. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you're queer and you've never felt like there's space for you in the world of barbecue, I hope this series helps you with that. I hope this series makes you see that, like, actually there super duper is. So yeah, enough for me. Let's get right into it. All right, my guest on this week's episode is Stephen Davidson. Stephen is an improviser, blogger, and author based out of London, UK. His books, Play Like an Ally and Improvising Gender, are great resources for anyone looking to help make improv comedy spaces, and I would argue spaces in general, more inclusive and accessible. And his blog, Impromiscuous, hosts a series of interviews with trans, non-binary, and otherwise gender-fluid improvisers, including somebody whose voice you maybe know pretty well if you listen to this show at all. It's me. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. 
I was on there a while ago. Stephen, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. So let's kind of get a, a sense of who you are as a person. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your relationship to food. Tell me about your relationship, especially to barbecue. Tell me about your relationship to queerness. Tell me everything, all the things, <laughs> literally everything. That's such a big question. Oh, <laughs> goodness. Let's start with barbecue because that's kind of what I'm excited about. And boy, do I talk about being queer a lot. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Very much my personal branding at this point. Ask me about my fanny. So barbecue. Anyway, I was vegan for 17 years, which feels like a weird kind of segue into barbecue. But <laughs> it it does feel like a strong connection to queerness because I don't know about y'all, but all of my queer friends either are or have been vegan or like feel guilty for not being vegan. There's very much like a subset uh, within our community. Uh, and I started eating meat again uh, for dietary reasons, but I'm pretty happy with the decision, TBH. And it kind of coincided with me finding a barbecue. And I'm I'm an adult. I could have bought a barbecue. They're not that <laughs> expensive. But because I'm a scrappy person from way back, I saw an abandoned barbecue near the sort of garbage area of my complex and liberated it and spent hours cleaning it. I think I probably spent more time cleaning it than it would have cost if I had paid myself at even <laughs> a minimum wage to just buy a new barbecue. But you know, waste not, want not. Yeah. And I've very much been feeding people excitedly from it ever since. I had never barbecued before, so it's it's a nice new stage in my life. I love that. I think that there is something to barbecuing and cooking over fire that kind of lends itself nicely to like recycling equipment almost. Like I I feel like at its heart barbecue as a like medium is something where you know, if you go back far enough people cooking over fire was really just people grabbing some stones that were nearby, putting whatever earthen clayware they had on top of it and lighting a fire under it and going. And I think that that sort of back to the earth mentality around that lends itself really well to like finding a used barbecue, cleaning it up a little bit and then making it your own. So I love that. I, I think the last time I cooked anything with fire before that was probably like marshmallows on a stick as a girl guide when I was probably 10. Sure. Uh, <laughs> And like, if a stick is clean enough, a metal thing that I washed is clean enough, probably no matter where it's been, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I always, my my feeling is like, I don't know, I grew up like, I have like a real, I probably have some undiagnosed thing that I need to see a doctor about eventually and get a diagnosis for, and then my whole world will just change. But I have always had issues with like tactile stuff, and that extends a little bit to like, things that you can't feel but can imagine are there so like i i'm a bit like a, a germaphobe a little bit but like only in very specific and weird ways um and so i always feel like when i'm finding stuff on the road like if it has any sort of cloth element to it i don't touch it with a 10-foot pole but if it's metal absolutely yeah i mean that's not a diagnosable problem that's just knowing that cloth is porous and being sensible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, right? No, I, I just think that for me, it kind of extends past, you know, <laughs> sensibility and a little bit into neurosis. <laughs> I would word for it, but I would also not <laughs> cloth thing off the side of the road. 
<laughs> so what kind of grill is it, the one that you found? You know, I don't think I even know the brand name or anything. It's a very basic sort of you put some charcoal in and you light it on fire and you wait a bit kind of grill. Cool, yeah. Uh, yes or anything. But uh, I quite like it. I love the smell of like burning. I get really excited to even just throw bits of paper in and smell them burn. I Maybe I have a problem. Who knows? <laughs> I love that. That's a very basic human thing is the the smell of fire is really warm and comforting. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's something especially with charcoal grilling where like, I don't even know how to say it. I, I guess it like, it comes back to the earth. It's funny. I'm not someone who usually talks like this. I'm not someone who usually talks about like going back to the earth and like, we are soil and you know, Simba, remember where you come from. Like this is really not, you know, my usual kind of philosophy around things, except for when I'm talking about barbecue, when I'm suddenly just like, yeah, let's really like get into our roots. And uh, I, I think that there is something to that, right? There's something to the cyclical nature, I guess, of of the world, where when you burn something, it goes from having this tangible form to becoming smoke. And then that smoke kind of eventually settles back onto the ground. And like, you know, with, um, with charcoal grilling, if you have something catching the, uh, the ashes underneath the grill after, you can use that in your soil and it actually is good for your garden and so it like literally is this thing where you can you can put it back into the earth a little bit and there's something i guess spiritual about it i feel i i don't know like i don't talk about things being spiritual except for barbecue is barbecue my religion (laughs) i mean if it is sign me up you could do much worse (laughs) i have done much worse Exvangelical yeah. over here. <laughs> I don't think I've used ashes in any productive way as yet, but it's nice to know that that's a possibility. It's it's cool. I didn't know about it. My my partner is really into gardening, and at one point was like, "Oh, save your ashes," and I was like, well, "Why? Why should I save my ashes? This seems like something you're supposed to dump out." <laughs> but uh, apparently, it's good for the soil. Really? What specifically does it do for the soil? That is. Question for someone who understands gardening more than me, I think. <laughs> Let's see. Why are ashes good for soil? Wood ash is a fine source of soluble phosphorus and potassium, both of which are essential plant nutrients. Oh, great. Yeah. Maybe I'll go <laughs> dig some into my tomatoes later. <laughs> so, yeah, you mentioned as part of, you know, what excites you about barbecue, feeding people. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. I'm very much a feeder and like a community slash chosen family enthusiast. And it kind of feels like a really warm and fuzzy way to do that and bring people together because it's like a spectacle and it has to happen in stages because I always buy far more food than will fit into the barbecue. (laughs) And it's like there's that warm, cozy activity built in. And I guess like in North America, certainly, and I don't know about the rest of the world, there's that thing of like a Sunday barbecue with your family kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. And I very much did not grow up in that kind of family. So it's fun to have created it for myself, which is nice. I am. Yeah, I love having even just a couple people over and cooking meat in front of them and and or veggies, if that's a thing. I recently barbecued asparagus for the first time, and mm. it was magnificent. <laughs> Warmly recommend. <laughs> Getting grilled asparagus right for the first time is such a, like, it's it, it feels like you've unlocked something a little bit, you know? Absolutely. I felt <laughs> very smug. 
nobody who was there was vegan, but I was like, I need to find a vegan to show that I just did this good thing. <laughs> like, I want that approval from someone in a position of vegetable authority. Right. Yeah, I get that. I'm a big meat person. I've never, no, I was going to say I've never like tried to go vegan or vegetarian, but that's not true. I did have one summer when I was 14 where we spent the first like three weeks of it in Hungary visiting family and ate a lot of food and a lot of like duck fat as like the main like source of grease. (laughs) And uh, it was all delicious. But by the end of that trip, I was very much like, I think I'm going to be off meat for a little bit. And I tried being vegetarian for a little while. And that lasted maybe three weeks also. But I've I've never been someone who like strays away from meat or animal products. I try to kind of limit you know, I don't I don't go too overboard with it these days just because I am conscious of what that does to the world. But I think that there is uh, there's something really great. Like even if I'm grilling meat, I always bring down a couple of vegetables to throw on the grill as well, because there is something there's something nice about that. There's something nice about being able to cook both over the fire, you know? Yeah, absolutely. There's like a nice sort of communal thing. Communality. Is that a word? I know commonality is a word. Like uh, there's a nice everyone get in here and grab a little spot for your food of choice kind of thing yeah, yeah i get it <laughs> yeah that's it. it 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 creates a i almost want to say it creates an accessibility like the yeah. the, the fire i don't know um i love that though the the just coming back to what you were saying about those like Sunday afternoon barbecue thing. I I also grew up like, you know, watching people do that and not really having that as my own experience in my family either. And I think that that is very much something that I have kind of sought after in my adult life is like the these sort of family spaces and now granted I have kids now and so like you know I literally have like the like nuclear family thing going on uh, in, in whatever capacity ours does it but like there's something different I think about bringing together a bunch of people right when you've got you know people coming over for a meal instead of just the people who are already in the house it feels a little bit more like you're you know hosting something I mean I guess you you literally are it's not that profound um but there's something about hosting people and feeding them and saying like come to my house let me provide for you in a way or let me you know even if they're the ones bringing the food let me prepare it for you let me you know make a space for you give you a memory here I think there's something beautiful about that and I think that that like I think that search for chosen family and I think that that like desire to have those kinds of spaces is something that like I don't think that I know any people who identify as queer who don't have that same like longing a little bit you know yeah, very much so. I mean, it's one of a few identities that doesn't sort of have that built-in family thing for most folk. Mm-hmm. Um, most, and this is, uh, all of this is wild generalization. Sure. A lot of queer folk grow up in families that are not queer, and you kind of have that extra little journey to find yourself right. um, and find your community. So, Yeah. Uh, makes total sense yeah and you know I think I think that as much as that's a generalization I think it's it's maybe safe to say about like queer folk in our generation right I mean I'm assuming you're a millennial but I don't actually know that but you know queer folk who are older than say teenagers because I think that like there are probably some queer teens who like have queer affirming parents who are also queer themselves and like Certainly, you know, my kids, if they are queer, are going to grow up super duper affirmed by virtue of having two queer parents. But and so, like, I think that there is maybe 
it's going to be less it's going to be less the case i think with the next couple generations but certainly our generation yeah did not grow up necessarily having like the most affirmation from our families absolutely fingers crossed <laughs> yeah this is a sidebar but i um so i teach voice lessons for trans and non-binary people and mm-hmm. i have a student who's 17 and recently they used the phrase older people like those born in the 1900s and i just oh. about died They're completely correct <laughs> oh gosh I know, right? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. nothing to do with barbecue, but I shoehorned it in because I'm still horrified. No, I get it. I once had, uh, I had a friend's kid who, he, he was maybe 10 at the time, uh, a Maroon 5 song came on, on the radio or on the playlist or whatever, and he was like, oh, I love old music like this. And I was like, <laughs> this song came out in 2005. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in all fairness, he was not born yet. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> This is, like, one of the newest things I have listened to. (laughs) I know, right? If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating and review I get during the month of June, I'll be donating $2 to Gender Creative Kids. Gender Creative Kids is an organization that aims to run workshops and community events for trans, non-binary, and gender creative youth, providing gender-affirming gear, educational tools, advocacy, and help for parents learning how to better adapt to their kids' needs. Having parents who are properly equipped and affirming of your gender identity as a kid is a really huge factor for improving the quality of life of trans kids, and you can learn more about what Gender Creative Kids does by clicking the link in the description of this episode. Now that the show has been heavily focused on food for a while, I went back and noticed that most of our existing Apple podcast reviews are really outdated and still talk about this show as if it's a comedy podcast. So if you've already left a review in the past, maybe take this opportunity to go update it, and I'll include that as a new review, even if it's technically just an update of an old one, because accurate reviews are more helpful than outdated ones. If you haven't had a chance yet to listen to last week's episode about cheese grating and contest judging, do yourself a favor and cue that up to listen to after this one. My guest Joshua Vandenberg walks me through what goes into making sure the cheese weed is as high quality as possible, uh, what sort of thought process goes into judging cheese professionally, and how to become a professional cheese grater, in case that's something that you're interested in. It's worth mentioning I'm saying grating with a D, not a T. I'm not saying how do you become someone whose job is to shred cheese professionally. I think that if you want that job, you just got to get a job at a pizza place. I'm talking about someone whose job is to make sure that the cheese is of a certain quality and to rate that cheese accordingly. Anyway, go listen to that if it sounds interesting to you. I thought it was a really fun episode. Last but not least, if you're not already, go subscribe to The Yeah Podcast, one of our sister shows here on the Upford Network. They're a young adult lit review podcast with a heavy focus on amplifying the diverse voices in YA literature. And spoilers, I'm actually the guest on their episode that drops tomorrow. So if you're subscribed to that, you're going to get another episode of me doing things in like 24 hours. And actually, if you're listening to this anytime after, you know, Tuesday, (laughs) that means you can actually already go listen to my guest spot on Yeah. So do it. We talked about a book called The Music of What Happens by Bill Koenig. Uh, it's a queer rom-com about two boys who fall in love working on a food truck. And uh, part of the episode involves me and the host of the show, Caddy Diop, talking about what we would do if we had our own food truck or food business. So if you're curious at all about what I said about that or about my feelings about the importance of representing, you know, <laughs> good and also bad parent relationships in books, uh, go check that out. I'll put a link in the description of this episode for ease of access. All right, that's enough from me. Let's get back to my conversation with Stephen. Your work seems to be very much about, like, creating space for people 
Like, you know, everything that you're doing on your blog, your books, your even even the improv that you do and that you teach it feels very rooted in that. Is, is that something that you think, I guess, what's what's at the root of that for you? I feel like a lot of the time as facilitators and adults generally, we're, we're trying to make the spaces that we couldn't find ourselves. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely, I think, an element of that for me, that idea of, chosen family and feeling welcome and safe and all of that is uh, something I've had to work for. And I Mm -hmm. feel like if I can provide that more easily for others, then I've had some kind of positive impact on the world. Yeah, I get that. I love that. That's that's very much uh, that's something that's been kind of on my heart for a long time as well as this like desire to create community a little bit, right? Where you see that there's a gap in something or maybe there's not even like an explicit gap, but it's just like, Hey, you know what? I wish I had more of personally. And I bet probably other people do this. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of intrinsically uh, lines up with queerness broadly because one of my favorite things about queer spaces is just how like chilled out and welcome and unregimented it all kind of is. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes to a point of lack of structure that I find frustrating as a Virgo, but, (laughs) but I know what you mean. Yeah, fair, fair. (laughs) I think absolutely though, that there is like, there's a level of let's meet you where you're at that I think is lacking kind of everywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And like barbecue kind of is the food equivalent of that, right? Right. super chill. You're not like sitting people down at a formally set table and assuming they'll know what fork to use or anything <laughs> ludicrous like that. <laughs> Everything gets prepared like one thing at a time and you can put the things that you want on your plate and not put the things that you don't want and, you know, can kind of graze or have a big meal or like it's it's the most relaxed and sociable kind of meal, I think. Yeah, I think so. I like that. This is like not a deep question, <laughs> but what what's your favorite thing to grill and or eat off the grill? Okay, my gut was telling me burgers, but on a special occasion, I'll do like a brisket or something and take the mm-hmm. time to get it all kind of soft and smoky. And yeah, I guess I could extrapolate and say beef products. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I feel that. Yeah, I, I think like... That makes sense, you know, like, it's it's hard to say that brisket is the, like, favorite go-to because of how much work goes into it, but there is, like, it's also hard not to say that it's the favorite, you know? Right? It's so good when it works well. I have, uh, I have not yet felt brave enough to try making one of my own. I only started grilling after having kids, and so I have never had, so far anyway, an experience where I can grill and just kind of, like let the day be taken by it if that makes sense like I really uh especially because we don't have a backyard at our current place so like if I'm outside grilling I am literally in the alley behind our house and like cars go by and so it's not necessarily like the safest place to let the kids just run around um you know we we bring them out with us when we're grilling certainly but like we have to be kind of vigilant about it and like you know attention spans fade and it's not as easy to just like go back and forth between outside and inside because we're not like grilling right off a deck or anything so like with our current setup 
I can't really be at the grill for more than like a few hours at a time because I'll start to feel like I'm like neglecting my children a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So like I just haven't really like had the opportunity yet to like smoke something over a long period of time. And it's definitely like I I feel I feel my patience ticking with that where I'm like maybe next summer is the summer where I'm going to be like, screw it. I have to take a day. I'm just going to take the day off work. Forget it. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to grill. We'll figure it out. (laughs) I don't know. So I envy you. I, I would I would fully support you in that. I'm very very spoiled to have a small but private yard and nobody needing supervision at my <laughs> That's the dream. Dog He's the most best behaved. I love that. So part of my goal with this series is to explore the relationship between queerness and barbecue. And like both of those, obviously, queerness being an enormous broad thing and barbecue being something that is like extremely multifaceted and enormous, depending on what culture you're coming from. I I think that there's so many places that that can come from and so many angles that that can go. And I think that that is why I was so excited about the idea of doing this series is because I'm like, I know... I know that I have not seen a whole lot of like queer representation in barbecue <laughs> and like I haven't I haven't necessarily seen like queer repression in barbecue but I certainly haven't seen like the representation either so I was like oh, it'd be really fun to like talk to a bunch of queer people about their relationship with barbecue but I'm wondering for you have you learned anything about yourself and your queerness through cooking over flame it's totally fine if the answer is no also <laughs> That sounds like a really niche question, but I'm going to go ahead and say yes, although I might extrapolate to a slightly bigger concept. Sure. (laughs) Um, I feel like there's a real kind of, what's the word, construct or assumption of like a certain type of masculinity Mm -hmm. that is linked to barbecue. And I think definitely as a trans man, there's like a certain... I'm going to go ahead and say mystique, which is not quite the word, but it's <laughs> close enough. Sure. Um, around sort of like hyper-masculine things or even just like masculine-coded things. Mm-hmm. And I think as I've gotten older, like I've had very differing relationships to that. Like when I first transitioned, they very much felt inaccessible and like I wouldn't be welcome in a super-masculine space. And then I think like a lot of trans mask people, I went through a phase of just rejecting anything very hyper-masculine because toxic masculinity is such a close neighbor to masculinity. And it's really hard to, I think, separate those and like consciously step into male privilege without feeling like a bit of an asshole for taking it. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I get that. And like, I've... I've kind of just chilled out about what the world is and how masculine I am or am not. And once I stopped worrying about stuff like that, really butch things like barbecuing became a lot more fun. (laughs) And that was a little bit of a long road to go on to answer your question. But I think as as a representation of masculinity, but also of inclusiveness, it's it's very on point for for me anyway. I totally get that. I, uh, I I was born the way that I am and I, you know, I identify as non-binary. And I think that for me, like, I had a similarly strained relationship, I guess, with masculinity in that, like, 
I present masculine uh, because that's just what my body likes to do. Like, I, I think it is very hard for me to, like, maintain a less masculine appearance. I just, I am huge and broad and very hairy. And it's like, okay, I'm just going to, like, accept this. But for a long time, it was really hard for me to accept that. It was really hard for me to say, like, okay, inside, I don't feel like this. Inside, I don't feel like a, you know, big, hairy, you know, manly person. And my my exterior was a big, hairy, manly person. And I was like, well, crap, like, how do I, like, deal with that? And I think that realizing that I loved barbecue, realizing that I loved baseball, these two things that are, like, you know, <laughs> historically very, like, straight guy things to love. I was like, oh, no, like, I love these things that are so traditionally masculine, but I super don't identify as masculine. Ah, this is giving me all of the dysphoria feelings. And at some point, I had to... You know, I think that we are taught that these things are masculine, right? And obviously we perceive them as masculine because the media shows it to us that way, right? We we see, you know, off the top of your head, if you had to picture a TV show where someone is grilling, it's like it's like King of the Hill, right? It's it's a bunch of, yeah. you know, it's a bunch of middle-aged men standing around being macho and grilling, or as, as macho as those characters are. And I think that I had to, at some point, do the work in myself to say, one, like, no activity or, or pastime or enjoyment is inherently gendered. No. With the exception of, like, enjoying having a gen... I, I don't even know, actually. <laughs> <laughs> because you can break that down pretty far. Um, and then two, like, you know, if those things are being perceived that way, that doesn't mean there's not space for us in them, right? And and that doesn't mean that you can't enjoy them even if you don't identify as that, you know, gender that you perceive the thing as being. This kind of stuff is so, like, it's so hard to talk about without starting to feel like you're talking circles around yourself a little bit, eh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, like, there's that whole thing of... I mean, if gender is a construct, it doesn't matter, does it? But it does matter. It does. Yeah, that's it. And it's yeah. it's frustrating because it's like it shouldn't, but it does. And so right. how do we, like, reconcile that? And, like, yeah. yeah. So I, I totally relate to the, like, feeling like you have to make space for yourself in, you know, something that is traditionally masculine and that it's okay to love that and, like, it's okay to to love barbecue and, like, you don't have to become a, like, toxic mask, you know, let me chug beers and, like, hate my wife kind of person in order to love grilling. Like, that, those those things aren't inherently linked, and there is space for, like, tenderness and, like, gentleness and, like, you know, there, there's space for, for everything around a fire. And it's like what you were saying, you know, when you get together for a barbecue, there is room on the grill for everything that everybody wants to bring to the table. Absolutely. Oh, that was deep. Oh, I got there. I got there. Yeah, you did. Right. <laughs> 9 a.m. as well. I'm real impressed. Oh, man. I'm not even done my... Oh, I am done my coffee. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like with money, for example. Like, we all consciously know it's bits of paper with pictures of, in our case, the queen, and that it shouldn't matter. We've just kind of collectively agreed that it does. But at the same time, we have bills to pay, right. and of not being able to is very emotionally real right. and I feel like masculinity is kind of one of those types of constructs where you can intellectually know no it's fine uh, I can be whatever I want but um, I think interacting with the world and sort of 
the internalized worry that the world <laughs> imparts to you is still real and stressful. Um, like, especially when you're younger, because I do think part of quote unquote being a man is deciding what that means for you. Mm-hmm. But I think it takes it takes all of us a while to get there. Right. Yeah, I get that. This is like maybe a bit of a tangent, but we're reaching the end of the episode, so I'm going to let it happen. Um, I had a moment just now where I was like, wait, you have the queen on your money too? <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> Coffee hasn't totally hit yet, apparently. Well, you got one good <laughs> profound thing out of yourself. That's pretty good. Yeah. And then I forgot whose country the queen is the queen of well steven thank you this was this was a really lovely way to start a morning this was a really lovely way to start a series before i let you go do you have any final thoughts on queerness on barbecue on being awake at nine o'clock in the well two o'clock in the afternoon (laughs) yeah i mean it was a real struggle to get out of bed for this i feel like my overwhelming thing to say about queerness is that it's great and not even just in the sense of LGBTQ queer, but queer as in on the outside looking in and therefore a different and really fascinating point of view on any group of people or situation. I feel like particularly as creative people, the more queer we can get, the better. I like that. Now I'm just thinking about how much fun it is to be gay. So good good morning to us. Good morning to us. <laughs> I'm just thinking about Dear Evan Hansen. That's fair, that's what you fair. just you just did that to me. You're welcome. <laughs> um, before I let you go, uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Anything you want people to check out, or any uh, you know encouraging final words of wisdom for people? I guess the encouraging final words of wisdom are like keep in touch, get in touch, let's be queer together, right? I have a, a website in Promiscuous. There's books and classes and. Uh, by the time this comes out, some more resources around gender and inclusion and fun stuff like that. So yeah, get in there. Sweet. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll include a link in the description of this episode for ease of access so that people can check it out. Highly recommend checking it out. Stephen's work is awesome. I, uh, I've been a fan for a long time. I was really glad when you were uh, excited to be part of this. Thank you for having me. So that's it. Thanks so much for listening to No Bad Food. Do you want to be part of the conversation? Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at No Bad Food Pod. If you like this episode and want to help me make the show even better, you can go to patreon.com slash nobadfood to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'd be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendall, and Carlea, Thomas, George Poppy, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Chantal, and David. Patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show. So if there's something you really want to make sure that I do an episode about sometime soon, the best way to do that is at patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod. We also have merch, and you can hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at TeePublic. And of course, you can support us for free by leaving a rating or review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with a friend. Our theme music is by Zach Ingalls, and our cover art is by David Flam. You can find links for both of their work, as well as links to everything that Stephen plugged in the description of this episode. And last but not least, this show is produced and edited by me, Tom Zalatni, as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. See you next week for part two of LGBBQ. It just takes a little time It takes a little time It takes a little time with me 
Hi, I'm Anthony Giorgio, host and producer of Queer Teen Podcast. Queer Teen Podcast encourages the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. Listen, learn, and love as you get to know the next queer youth leaders of the world. Queer Teen Podcast celebrates, elevates, and narrates how the LGBTQ community uses our voices to tell our stories. You can find Queer Teen Podcasts on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else to get your podcasts. And please, please, please subscribe today. And don't forget to listen, learn, and love. Hello, my name is Stefan, and please join me every week for my podcast, Some Good Friends, a show where I talk to some good friends of mine. Previous guests have included a Reiki healer, the heir to the Redenbacher popcorn throne, the person definitely not responsible for the murder hornet outbreak, and Jack Nicholson. Comes out Mondays, early in the morning. Check it out, and you might laugh.